And so to start off, well, we're going we're gonna to be doing a panel, a testimony panel, with, with uh, five different people sharing a brief versions of their testimony. So the reason that we're doing this is as we are brainstorming and praying through this weekend is we believe that it was crucial to, to talk about the raw and real experiences that we've had as humans Sometimes we can feel like I'm alone and nobody's struggled with this and everyone else has their life put together because they raise their hands during worship when all the while there's actually a lot of brokenness within this room as it relates to our identity and our sin issues and we tend to mask and hide them when in reality as a church community we should find uh, safe places to share those things so that we can become free. And so our goal in sharing these testimonies isn't to highlight and, and be uh, be harsh and it's it's to highlight the fact that we're all broken and it's okay to talk about our brokenness okay so I'm gonna invite my panel members to come up we have Abby Gann we have Alec Duzan we have Nick and Emily Mayo and Tim Gillio give them a round of applause Nick could you grab that microphone right there Perfect. So like I said, they're going to be just uh, sharing brief uh, testimony of their lives as it relates to their sexual history and their brokenness. So I ask you to give them attention. We'll hear from Tim first, and we're just going to go down the line. And I might ask some like follow-up questions and whatnot, but I'm just going to give the floor to Tim. Introduce yourself first, for maybe for people who don't know you, and then you got the floor, man. All right. Well, uh, for those of you who do not know who I am, my name's Tim Gillio. Uh, I've been on staff here. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I oversee Connections Ministry, and I've been on staff for, I think it's like 16 years now. So, um, But just go ahead. Let's, let's dive into it. So I didn't grow up in a church. Um, I went to church for weddings and funerals. I can remember with my family going to church one time for like a Christmas Eve uh, Christmas, like midnight mass, um, one time vaguely. Uh, so my my history really doesn't involve much of God. Doesn't involve much of church at all. Um, we rarely talked about it. I would say we believed in God, but it wasn't like I didn't even know who God was. So as I'm growing up, uh, one of the things that I uh, realized very young is that. All right, so one of the lies I, I began to believe when I was very young is that I, was, um, I wasn't worthy, no one liked me. Um, I, remember, I remember feeling intense feelings of loneliness um, as I was younger. When I went to uh, kindergarten, I remember even as young as kindergarten, <clears throat> there was like this expectation that um, you would try to date somebody, but even in kindergarten, it seemed like that wasn't working for me. You know, it sounds funny, but like, like ever, for some reason, there was this lie of Tim, no one likes you. And um, that kind of just began to fester for a long time. Um, kind of this, I had this feeling of loneliness and this intense desire to date somebody so that I could feel quote unquote popular or something like that. And then when I was when I was young, I remember specifically, I was doing the math. When I was about 10 years old, I remember um, the idea of pornography was there before that, but really at 10 is when it really got kind of cemented in uh, because my oldest brother 
went to college. When he came back from college, he brought a computer for the first time into our house. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, internet was available at that point. Um, and it was super challenging to use and annoying to use. But I remember basically this, this cycle of like, I would feel alone and I found that there was fulfillment in pornography. And then from that, it was like, it, it, at first I didn't feel really bad about it because I didn't know there was, there was like uh, shame kind of in like, keep it, keep it alone. But then fast forward, I get saved when I'm 16, like just before I'm 16. And all of a sudden now there's this, you feel alone. So you know, find relief through pornography and then you feel super shameful after that because now I know what destruction it can actually do in my life. Um, and then through that, like what, what really began to change to, to kind of go through this quick, what really began to change my life is when I realized, first of all, that God looks at pornography and the reason he doesn't like it is because he knows the damage it does to me. And when I realized that God's, God, what God says in the Bible is more about he wants the best for me rather than he wants to keep fun things away from me, it changed a lot of my life. And then when I realized that, that through that and through obeying it, like I get to experience God's wholeness. And then um, just this idea of like, I want to be truthful everywhere I go. And if I'm living like this secret life over here, that's going to affect every area of my life. So, um, and then like basically the, the time I remember where, where it became like cemented in of like, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live completely like vulnerable and open and honest was about my third year of college where I kind of just let it all go. So I've been battling this for a long time then. Um, and it wasn't like intense all the time, but there was seasons of just really bad moments uh, but then my third year of college, I remember just this idea of living completely open and honest. And I had two men in my life, and I'll name them both. One of them was Patrick Konechny. The other one was Daniel Vanderklok. And those two guys really showed me what it meant to, first of all, be a brother in Christ to me and be there for me, um, but then allowed me uh, an area, to a place to go when I needed help. So... You'd say, so then pornography was uh, something that you watched and participated in from the age of like 10 to like 22. And yeah, so, then, so, then, so then once that happened where you confessed and you said a third year of college, was it like, a, was it like supernatural or was it a process that you actually walked out? It's funny you said that because I've tried to think several times about like, how did this change? And really, if you go back to like my first semester of college, if you're here last night, I shared how my first semester of college was super dark for me um, because of my loneliness coming back in. Um, I didn't seek out to stop looking at pornography. I began to truly seek the Lord. So for me, it was never like a filter on a phone, though like smartphones weren't around when I was in college. But <laughs> Yeah, less temptation maybe. Yeah, you know, um, so it's not that I'm against f- filters or anything like that. But for me, it was more just I just truly began to seek God. And honestly, it got to the point where n- n- like, and now it's like if, if, if 
if I'm watching a movie and it looks like I'm going there, like I like the my spirit inside of me like almost forces me to look away. It's not like me saying look away. It's like, you know, <laughs> uh where where I can't even like go that direction. You know. Um so for me it was just I think it was a supernatural thing over a process, if that makes sense. No, that's good. Thank you for sharing. Tim Gillio, everyone. <laughs> now we got Abby Gann. Abby Gann. Well, hi, guys. Um, my name is Abby. Um, I was born and raised in the church. I went to the same church for a really long time, like 12 years. <clears throat> so I was introduced to pornography when I was seven. Um, my friend had a phone, and we were both curious. So that's basically how that started. Um, when I was 12, I was addicted to it, and I remember... When I was younger, I didn't really know what I was looking at, and every time I tried to approach my parents about, like, I read a comic that mentioned X-rated films or something like that, they immediately shut it down, and subconsciously I made the choice of, you know, I can't go to them about stuff like that, it's a secret. Um, Anytime it was looked up with a friend, it was always in secret with the door locked. Um, So... By 12, I was addicted to it. I was really struggling with depression at the time. Um, And so I never told anyone. And so when I hit about 16, 17, I finally decided, you know, like this is something that I need to deal with. And Jake made, he had a sermon on a Wednesday night and said the true way to get healed from something is to like tell the person you don't want to tell. And that has haunted me. <laughs> it's great advice, but it's like the worst ever. It's terrible. So I didn't go to my parents, but <laughs> probably shut up. But um, so I went to my girlfriends and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. And it turns out they dealt with it too. And I was like, girls deal with this too? I thought it was a guy thing. Apparently it's everybody. So um Around 17, there was a person of interest, and I always told myself that I considered porn cheating. So I was like, I have to get clean in order to be able to pursue, like be pursued. Like I will not let anybody pursue me unless I'm free of this. So I was like, I'm really involved in church. I spoke at One Heart. I was all over the place, and I was like my big secret. So um, I remember just being like, okay, like don't watch it. Just don't watch it. Don't think about it. Don't watch it. So I stopped watching it, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. Like, yeah, we're great. Um, And then a little bit before I started dating this person of interest, um, it hit me. I was like, if I'm only getting clean just so that way I can have a boyfriend, like if he broke up with me, would I go back to it? Because then you're not fixing it because then they are the fix, and that doesn't ever end well. So... Um, got in a relationship, and then real talk, last year, um, I came up to Melanie, and I was like, this is what's up. I have this amazing person in my life, but he has no idea about my past, and I don't know how to tell him. And so she told me, don't create a soul tie, but you have to tell them. You have to. So it was a super, you know, like this, this, and this. That's what happened, very brief. Um... And that was the person that I didn't want to tell. So, because just the fear of, will he forgive me for what I've done? So, 
Um, and he did, which is honestly amazing. Um, and totally just blanked. Yeah, so I want to ask you about this process of you making this promise mm -hmm. and then you real like that realization that the promise that you made was really just to get the guy. Mm -hmm. And what was that process like of like the Lord changing your mind about that promise that you'd be free before you would date someone? Yeah. Um, it was honestly just one day I think I couldn't fall asleep or something and my mind was really just all over the place. Um, and there's a quote that was in like my friend's bathroom or something when I was six that said, um, if you ever want to know where your heart is, where does your mind wander? So, and I was just like, where is my mind wandering? And I, like, I was like, I don't like where it's going because it's dark and it's depressing and it's not good. And then um, the Lord, I was like, like, what if he broke up with me? What would I do? And the Lord was like, if you go back to it, you were never truly healed. So. You'll probably get that to later on in the weekend at some point, maybe in the breakout sessions, but it brings up an interesting point of like, we make these promises. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm never going to look at porn again. Or I'm never going to have sex again before I get married. Or I'm never going to talk to someone online sexually. I'm never going to send another picture. We make all these promises to ourselves without actually we think we're doing God a favor. We're like, God, I'm doing you a favor by making this promise. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like, because I've dealt with that too my, in my story, but it's like we make ourselves promises we can't keep. Yeah. And it really sets us up actually we're worse off in the end. Mm -hmm. Anything else within your story that you want to share? No. Thank you for being on it. That was, mm -hmm. that was powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. Um, <clears throat> yeah, hi, my name's Alec. I don't know if you guys recognize me. I interned here for two years, um, but a lot happened before that stuff. Yes, thank you to Nick and Jake. They definitely pushed me into it. But um, to really get into my story, it's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much. I started masturbating at like, it was sixth grade. I didn't even really know what I was doing. I was just, I was just going to get real. I was just messing with myself. And I'd... Just It was kind of innocent, but obviously it's a sin, but it's like it was happening. And then by the time I was into middle school, like just to show you how deep it was, it's like I masturbated behind the dumpster of a, tri of a school one time. It's just like a Christian school. A Christian school. <laughs> yeah, I was going to Triunity. We had, we had weekly meetings like this. We had a worship service. We had a teaching. And it's just like it's just there's nowhere you can go where people aren't struggling so like the fact that any of you guys are sitting in here with the problem is not a surprise to any of us and there's no shame for anybody but just moving from that I discovered pornography like shortly afterwards like moving into high school and then that lasted until I was I don't know the, the better part of my life over 10 years I was looking at porn and and doing um yeah just masturbating all the time like every night of the week and then to get into See, I think it was 2017, 18, I joined the worship team here. I started getting involved, and then I ended up doing the discipleship program. Um, and then there was one event, if you guys have ever heard of it, it's called Kairos. Um, it's a big freedom ministry. Um, I had never told anybody that I was struggling with pornography, and I was on the worship team. Like, I was in church. I was serving, you know, like many of you people are. And I went to this this event, this Kairos, was about a month and a half into the discipleship program, and 
um, I, the Lord just broke me. I was, I was in it, and I was doing that, that snot cry, that, those tears everywhere. I need the Kleenexes. Um, I went up to the line, to the front, to confess, and um, through this man, I don't even know his name. I still see him around here, but the Holy Spirit, he said to me, he was like, I have no condemnation for you, and that just broke me. And I literally, I literally felt um, the chains break in my spirit. It's like a weird combination of the supernatural and the, the physical because I could feel it fall off. But that, that wasn't the ending. Um, through those next seven months of like pursuing the Lord hard with the community of believers who was also supporting the Lord, it was like it wasn't a problem. It was like Jesus was number one and I was pursuing hard. And then once the program ended, um, it started to creep its way back in. I wasn't pursuing the Lord. The only really way, the only prescription I could prescribe to you guys for fixing this problem is just to pursue the Lord because I don't know any other way of how to fix this problem. And it's like, I stopped doing that. And not that I stopped believing or anything. It's just like, I didn't make time to pursue or learn or grow and just to develop that relationship. And then, you know, a couple months go by and Nick and and Jake approached me about doing an internship with um, Access. And I did end up doing that. And so, I think, I don't know how long the project went, but or how long it took to get started, but I started doing the podcast, and Jake is like, let's record some testimonies, Alec, you're going first. And I recorded mine, and like I was, I talked about on there, I talked about that Kairos experience, I was like, yeah, I'm free from, you know, from pornography, but really what was happening is like I was falling back into it, and I didn't know how to tell anybody, because I had thought I was done, I thought I was free, I thought it was like this part of my life was over. And so I recorded the podcast saying that I had, you know, beaten this issue, but it never really actually was solved, or should I say it was more, the experience that I had was very real, but I want to be wary of experiences because I was having a conversation with my buddy Ethan not too long ago. It was like in the Bible, you see Jesus talking about doing, he did many miracles, but always like after that, he's like, your sins are forgiven. Like he wasn't trying to just get them to see the supernatural. He was trying to get you to a place of like, realizing that your heart needs to change. It's not that you were healed. It's that your sins are forgiven. It's that you're, you're made new. And so after, I never, end up, I never ended up posting that podcast, but what ended up happening um, is I kept falling into it, and then I would go back, and then Jake would give me opportunities to speak at Access, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm like living this lie, and, and Jake would always tell me, he's like, you know, I, I trust you, like there's no shame for you, because I had many, many heart-to-heart conversations with him. Um, but, and then it was Real Talk last year where I came up, check my time, still doing good. I came up, I came up here, there was another time of confession, and um, Matt Davis was up here, and I was like, I was still kind of falling back in, and I was like, God, I thought I was done with this, because I had had a point um, through the internship where I was clean, I thought I was clean, I wasn't dealing with it, it had been like two months or so, and then you would fall back in, and I was like, God, what is going on? I've been on such an up and down roller coaster journey with you. Like, what is this? And um, he just brought me back to a moment when I was a kid where my dad would be in the insurance business and he would travel all the time. And I remember him walking out the door and I'd just be bawling because I didn't want to go. And then, you know, this would happen weeks and weeks and weeks and months. And then eventually one day I saw him walk out the door and I was like, I am not going to let this affect me anymore. So at that point, I made the switch. It was like, okay. Someone else is my source right now. Again, it was an earthly source. It wasn't the source that I needed, but it was still something I was holding on to. And I turned to myself, and I made myself that source and realized 
the internal realization that I had, I may not have been able to vocalize it, but it was that I was alone and that I had to be everything and all things for myself. And so from that point on, no matter how many spiritual experiences or miraculous, you know, things that happened to me, it was, it was going back to that heart issue. It was like, okay, your heart is not in a good place. It's like you think that you're alone and your coping mechanism is masturbation. Your coping mechanism is looking at porn or that release when you don't feel like you're good enough, when you don't feel like a man, or you don't feel like you're the person you're supposed to be. You go to that stress reliever of masturbation and then there's that shame that comes right after it because it's like, oh, I was good for a second, but now I'm right back to where I was. So in that moment, at that confession spot on in front of the stage in the ground floor, um, I just... I just laid it all before the Lord. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he just, he just was such a father to me at that moment. He's like, I am enough for you. You no longer have to feel like you're alone and that you have to do this yourself. And I just was bawling again. And then even from there, it wasn't a perfect, like, cut and dry, clean break. It was like, I still had issues. It's like, I still was like masturbating, but it wasn't that I was falling into a trap. It was now my heart had changed and my mindset was different. It was like, okay, I realize now that this is not me. This is not who I am. And in that journey of pursuing the Lord after that moment was how I got free from the masturbation and the lust and the the pornography. It was that walking with the Lord every day and allowing him to speak to my heart until that wasn't even a concern. That wasn't even a place where my mind went anymore. It was just me and the Lord. Praise God, man. I think, you know, I hear your story, and I think it's a, it's a, what I, what I hear that's, I think, worth highlighting is the cycle. Cy Rogers, who is a, he's a pastoral leader who actually has passed away since, uh, since I've heard him speak, but he said something when I heard him speak, and he said, most people, it takes them two to five years to break a sexual addiction. And I think so often we attach shame to sexual sin that when we come to Christ, we're like, like, I have to quit now. And then we like tell our friends, and because we're charismatic, that makes it worse that we're like, I'm free. And we tell everyone we're free, but then it traps us that we can't actually be human anymore. And we're like, we're free. We had a supernatural experience. I've got freed from pornography. I got freed from sex. I got freed from this, that, the other thing. And then we trapped ourselves. And it's like, I, I see that so much, and I see the cycle, and I just, I just commend you, man. Alec, you're so brave. Like, you're so brave, because you, you, like you knew you were battling, but you just never hid. It was just it's such a brave thing to do, and I think so many other people just hide, and when they come out, then it's just such a struggle. But you just were brave, and you stuck it out for so long, and I feel like the, the Lord is, yeah, he's positioned you to, like, really mentor and champion other men and really just people in general to, like, really discover their freedom in Christ when it comes to, to that area. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, and if I can just say one more thing without taking up too much time, is that was all by myself. Um, and then I'm, I'm married now. I'll be married a month tomorrow. Shout out to my beautiful wife back there. Um, but it is a whole new world when you get into a relationship with another person. And I just want to let you know, like, when you do mess up, like, Go to the people. You're going to hear that theme a lot. You're going to see it here this weekend. It's like, go to your people. My buddy Ethan Scudder back there is somebody that I've gone to, like just crying and broken when the lies are hitting you. Just admit it. Get it off your chest because that's what, that's what James says. It's like you will find healing when you bring it to your brothers. That's awesome. Thank you, man.
Well, hi, um, I'm Emily. Um, how many of you guys were here two weeks ago um, when I shared? And then, and then uh, I also shared like a year ago, and then there's people who have heard my testimony from the discipleship program. So I'm not going to go into like the, the testimony that, um, like the detailed one at all, but just give you like a real brief version um, for those who didn't weren't here two weeks ago. Um, but so, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, this is my husband, by the way. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and, um, yeah, sex just wasn't really talked about. Um, uh, se- yeah, I, um, sex was, like, I guess there's two, like, categories. There's the one of, like, oh, I didn't start my timer. There's the one of, like, um, you know, like, the visual, right, or the talking about it, and then there's, like, the intimate one, intimate sexual history that you have with, like, other people, and they're all on the same, right, but I was really, like, introduced to, um, like, my sexual history kind of started when I was 19, which, you know, for me, that was way earlier than I wanted it to be, but, um, and it was uh, through the process of, like, a, man- a really manipulative relationship that really sent me down, like, a spiral of, really terrible decisions and um, just like this vicious cycle of just kind of layering on the sexual history and issues both with other people but then other than things that I would do on my own. Um, So you name it and that was part of my history Um, all the while thinking that it just wasn't really um, affecting anything because um, you know I was already tainted. I was already used, uh, um, so my purity was already gone, so it really didn't matter anymore, so I spent several years just kind of, like, piling it on, and I did have, like, a come-to-Jesus moment. I had a real-life encounter with God, um, yeah, like, I think it was around 23, and uh, God just met me and spoke a new identity over me, one that said that I was in that righteousness even in that moment, no matter what I had done or what I or what had been done to me, none of that defined who I was to him and how he saw me, that I was in that righteousness in that moment, and I am still today. Um, And that just flipped the script for me, because I had, it, it, it just changed everything inside of me right at that moment. It was an identity shift. One that I, I knew in my head, but I didn't know in my heart, and he just revealed it in my heart. And I say that story, um, and you know, those of you who heard it a couple weeks ago, you know, like a little bit more of the details behind that, but it sounds like everything is good, and I lived happily ever after, and then I met my knight in shining armor, right? <laughs> um, but I had a very similar kind of experience that, you've, that, that I don't really get to share that often, is that the second part of that, which is um, that, you know, that shift that happened in my identity was the key to, like, opening a door of this new journey with the Lord of learning who I actually was and who I was created to be as a woman and how he created me as the bride of Christ. Like, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? What does it mean to be lovely and pure and righteous and you know, what does that look like? Um, so I started on a journey with the Lord of him just continually revealing things to me and, and, and healing my sexual brokenness and, um, and, uh, and then eventually him just romancing me. And so it was him cleaning up 
everything and then filling it with the right things, right? Because we, we all know that all of the things that we're talking about is us fulfilling a need that we have in the incorrect way, right? We know that that's the source of all of that. And we know that the right way is to have God fill it. But if you don't really, like, understand who you are, like, deeply in your, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, God's got God's to touch you there and, like, really give you that identity. And until you really believe that you're worthy of it is when you can really start to walk that out and, and walk that journey with him, um, understanding that it's all paid for um, and that it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not, um, you know, he calls us to obedience, but he call, only only if it's coming from a heart of, that's in love with him. He's, a, he's after your heart, not after your obedience. And um, so, yeah, so I just started a journey of... Um, just following after him, letting him romance me, learning what it's like to be, you know, single and um, in, you know, with with God and being fulfilled in that way and being a woman of God and being worthy of a godly man. That was a big lie that I had believed is I'm not worthy of a godly man anymore. Um, so yeah, thankfully I spent that time with him and just in time to meet Nick. And um, so, yeah, we've been married for almost eight years, and um, we have a little baby boy on the way. Um, I think I have a little bit of time to share this, if that's okay. I wasn't planning on sharing it, but I really felt like God would just kind of put put this part of my testimony on my heart to share with you guys. I'm going to try not to cry, because I haven't shared it publicly before. But... um, so, okay, I'm going to try, okay, we'll see if this is going to work. I don't know. We're, we'll see if it's going to work. Um, I didn't even tell you I was going to share this, but you're okay with it, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so Nick and I, we've been married for almost eight years, right? For a long time, I struggled with, do I want to have kids? Um, I'm clearly pregnant, <laughs> right? Just said that, right? Baby's due in like two weeks, so. Um, really great, yeah. Um, so, no surprise, I got pregnant, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I went through a long, a long time of like, did it, do I want to have kids? And there's a lot of things that I had like said over myself of like, I never want to have kids. And and then I went through this whole like, oh, I can never be a good mom. I've done all these terrible things, and I, you know, I never want to be like my mom. And so, it's been a long journey of healing with the Lord with that. Um, so actually, it was. Um, Actually, like when we were planning Real Talk a year and a half ago, I got a call. Like when I got home from one of our meetings, actually, I got a call from my doctor's office saying I had tested positive for an STD. Um, that uh, just kind of like anyway. Um, so Nick and I had been trying to have kids, and um, so. That was really hard for, like, me not to take on some shame again from, like, all of that past of, like, oh, it's coming back to haunt you now. Um, so I just, like, surrendered it to the Lord. And, I, you know, I told Nick when he got home and, like, everything's okay. But um, so we just continued to try and, and, you know, try and have kids. And a year goes by. And um, so... 
I got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. It was a really amazing story. Um, and then they did another screening of me three months into the pregnancy, and I was healed of that, of that city. Yeah. So, um, anyway, and there's more to the story of this baby and, like, God's hand on his life. There was a scare at the beginning of the pregnancy that, like, things weren't going to work out, and we just prayed over his life, and he saved my life, and he saved my baby, and, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's beautiful. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Emily. Hello, I'm Nick. I did this. <laughs> which is how you know I know what I'm talking about up here. <laughs> I'll stick to my notes, Jake. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so if you're if you're paying attention to the testimonies, which I'm sure you are, uh, these things, sexual history is never clean and clear and just straight cut to the point. It's, it's kind of a snowball of so many different things in our lives that have built up. How many of you guys would say that your sexual history has been included with your heart being ripped out and what feels like just stomped on over and over and over again? And these are important for us to, to recognize. When we go through these testimonies, each and every person up here sharing is sharing from a place where they've experienced deep, deep brokenness. So if you're out here going, I don't know, these testimonies, they sound, just realize we empathize with you. We understand that there's a lot of things that have happened to people that you've stepped into, that you willingly participated with, that you unwillingly uh, were forced into. And um, yeah. It's just a snowball of brokenness built up from millions of little wounds, lies, experiences, misconceptions, unhealthy expectations, and they start to carry a certain momentum, and it starts to get out of control, and you start to get to a place where you go, I want to change, but I feel like the momentum is moving so fast, so hard, that I can't find any breakthrough. And I'll say something right here at the beginning, and mine... My testimony is kind of broken down a little bit more teachy, right? I lead our discipleship program, so my brain breaks things down in this way. But here's, here's one of the keys that I want you to write down in your notes. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't. But without us, he won't. And some of you guys are coming into this weekend on one side of that equation, You've been trying your hardest and you need to partner with the Holy Spirit. Or you've been expecting Holy Spirit to do everything for you and he's waiting on you to make some moves. So in short, testimony of my life and in this area is that God has over time and through intentional effort on my part truly made me a completely new type of person. And I'm going to talk about this pretty heavily in my breakout session tomorrow and kind of give a, a roadmap of what this looks like. But the, the reality is I had to come to grips with before that, I had become a completely different kind of person. A person that did not look like the person that Lord wanted me to be. That person objectified women, self-medicated wounds in the questions of my soul, 
I acted like a child. Like, if we're just honest, I, I was just immature. I had acted like a child trying to get whatever my desire wanted in the moment. I was completely immature. And I was believing the lie that all these things that I was doing, objectifying women and self-medicating and acting like a child, these are the things that the, the world ends up showing us, this is what it looks like to be a man. So actually, the whole time, I, I believed that I was doing manhood. This is what manhood looks like. They become second nature to me. And this is what the work of the Lord was. He had to do an unwinding of me. And he literally had to straighten me out in order to get me back to the place that he wanted me to, to be, a mature man in the Lord. I was first introduced to nudity at the age of about seven or eight. Uh, down the street, my close friends, uh, Ethan and Kenton, out in the back 40 of their house, there's this old rusted Chevy. And in the trunk of the Chevy, was a whole box of Playboys. And about seven or eight, we were out in the back. And they were like, Nick, i got to show you something. And they started showing me these Playboys and start flipping through them. And I had no idea what to do with it. But it was the first time that I seen women objectified as if it was some sort of catalog. And that was when I learned this is how we're supposed to look at women. You look at women for sexual fulfillment, for sexual arousement, for all these different aspects. A couple years later, we got a, a big cow box in our house. For anybody who's younger than, like, me, uh, <laughs> you don't realize, that's what computers used to come in. Gateway computers used to, you remember? <laughs> so we got the, the computer hooked up, internet gets hooked up, and all of a sudden I start plumbing the depths of the internet trying to search out this curiosity. And I start coming against other photos, videos. I start getting introduced to porn. I remember coming out, I, I lived in the basement and our computer was outside my basement door. And I remember opening up to go to the bathroom one night and my dad's on the computer and he's on something. He's quickly shuffling around. And I just remember later on going through the history and trying to figure out what was dad so, so like frazzled about? And started getting more and more introduced to porn. Which started bringing in all sorts of different fears inside of me. Right? You start looking at these, these images in porn and you start wondering, is that, what, is that what I'm supposed to be chasing after in a woman? Is that what I'm supposed to look like as a man? Because I don't look like that. I don't have six-pack abs. Or I don't have some really strange whatever. <laughs> if we're being honest, we all have insecurities because we're looking at these things going, that's not me. I don't have breasts that size. I don't have a penis that size. I don't have all these different things. And if we're going to do real talk, we got to do real talk. And I started believing the lie at that moment that I wasn't what it took to be a man. I didn't have what it takes. That I wouldn't be fulfilling to women or whatever that might be. I started chasing that lie down and started self-medicating that lie, that question, with more and more pornography. Later on, you skip forward to high school and a buddy of mine, Paul's, walking around to our group of friends and he's handing out condoms. And I, I grab the condom and I go, what is this for? And he looks at me and he goes, come on, don't tell me you're, you're the only one who hasn't had sex. Shame. I could have curled up and cried myself to, 
whatever that point. You know what I did? I looked at him and I lied. I said, you kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm just wondering why you're giving it to me when I have so many of these at home. And then from that point forward, I was trying to chase after fulfilling the lie so that way I, I didn't have to keep lying. A snowball. The whole time, time after time after time after time, my heart's being ripped out and stomped on. Fast forward after multiple different sexual relationships to get to 23, and I'm marrying a young lady because she's going off into the Navy. We're marrying based off of a relationship, based off of sexual dependency on one another. I was so scared of losing her going into the Navy that my best idea was, we should get married, so the Navy will send us out there together. And so that's our foundation of marriage. Well, then it was only a short while into the marriage that she gets deployed. And you know, if we're building a marriage off the foundation of sexual uh, promiscuity before marriage, that it was only a couple weeks before she was in deployment and she started sleeping around. Whew. Heart gets pulled out, stomped on again. My mentor, Dallas Willard, says, God's address is at the end of our rope. And that was at a point that I was at the end of my rope. I was traveling back to Virginia where I was living at the time, moving or traveling back from, from Michigan, thinking if I were to run my car off the road and hit a tree, hopefully I won't die, but maybe I'll end up in the hospital and she'll come to her senses and realize what she's missing out on. And it was at that moment where these thoughts are going through my mind that God met me there, started me on a journey. That journey looked like discipleship to Christ through wise counsel, through distinct moments of healing with the Lord. God began redeeming my vision of women. He started healing the deep wounds of my heart started restoring my identity and character as I matured into a man of God. And I'll finish with this. That journey took a long time. It took years, and you guys have already said it a couple times, to where this is not something that happens overnight. And although Emily and I have had an amazing marriage, these journeys continued into our marriage. Both of us were working through things as we were going into our marriage. Neither of us were perfectly or fully mature as we stepped into our relationship together. But we were both in maturity, or moving towards the pursuit of maturity in the Lord. Which has been ultimately a victory, not only in our marriage, but in the types of persons that we have become so through intentionality and effort on my part, in partnership with the Lord, His Word, His Spirit, I've slowly moved towards becoming a new type of person. Say, a new type of person. That's the journey that we're invited into this weekend. We are all a specific type of person right now. In my breakout session tomorrow, we're going to put those things to words. And our journey isn't that we're getting free from sexual promiscuity, our journey is that we are becoming more like Christ, a completely different type of person. And as that type of person, we would naturally not do the things that we naturally do now. So my, my freedom, the victory in my life, isn't that I've had eight years free from porn and masturbation and, and, and lust and all these different aspects. The, 
the freedom in my life, the testimony in my life is that today, more than eight years ago, I look more like Christ. I know Christ more, and I've allowed him to know me more. And in that place, now, I naturally don't do those things, like Tim was saying. When those things pop up, it's natural for my mind to go, no, I'm not going to partner with that. It doesn't mean that lustful thoughts don't come. You realize that lustful thoughts is not the same as lusting. Thoughts come, but then we take those thoughts to obedience. And, and we, we just go on this journey. So like all these guys have said, this is a, a journey that we are moving forward with the Lord. And I want to encourage you guys, this weekend is a sacred, sacred time for you. The Lord is beckoning you. He's calling you into a deeper relationship with him. In, in like Paul's language, he's looking to have Christ formed in you. And when Christ is formed in you, all you have is freedom. Does that make sense? So without the Holy Spirit, we can't. Without us, he won't. And I want those thoughts to be ringing through your head this entire weekend as you're hearing all these different things that you're going to be able to step into and put to practice. Thank you, Nick. I'm going to uh, pray for us, and then we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back. Sound good? So, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the, God, the work that you've done in each of our lives. We just thank you, God, that you are creating an environment, God. You're creating this room. You're in this room, God, so that we can come to you as we are. We thank you that you're kind and that you're patient and that you're close and that you're powerful, that you're loving, and that most of all, God, you are a redeeming God. You're bought, you've bought us back, and you're making us anew. We just thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We're expectant in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Take about a 10 or let's say nine-minute break.